0: Okay, so when we think of Advent, I think most often, this is the case, some of us are, are maybe aware of, of the other case, but most often, you know, when we think of Advent, we think of Christmas, of course, because that's how Advent ends, is with the celebration of Christmas. Um, but, but then you get to Mass on like the first Sunday of Advent, and for that matter, the next week, and the week after that, and you're, you're sitting there listening to the readings, and there's nothing about she's like, there's nothing about the baby Jesus. There's nothing about the angels appearing to Joseph or to Mary. And, and so it's like, okay, I think we have the wrong set of readings because Advent is about Christmas. Um, When in fact, that's, that's part of what Advent is for, but, but it's about more than that. So the word itself, Advent, it means the arrival of someone or something in particular, the arrival of someone or something in particular. So, so when we, when we talk about Advent, we're, we're anticipating an arrival. What is it that we're anticipating? Well, of course, we're anticipating, celebrating the arrival of Jesus when he's born as a baby, right, at Christmas. The incarnation is what, that's, what we call that. We're, we're, of course, that's, that's how Advent ends. But we're also anticipating another arrival of Jesus. We, we as Christians believe this. What we talked about, or what we heard just proclaimed in the gospel a moment ago, what, what we've been hearing, in fact, proclaimed for the last number of weeks at Mass. Uh, and what all Christians believe, all Christians, regardless of denomination, whether you're Catholic, Protestant of any, any, any flavor, Orthodox, whatever it may be, all Christians of all types believe this because it's in the Bible, that Jesus, he came, he was born, uh, he died, rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and he's going to come back. He is going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to judge everybody who's ever lived and who is currently living. The living and the dead. We profess this in our creed on Sundays. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Again, whether a person is Christian or not Christian, he's going to judge them. And what he's encouraging us in this gospel passage and throughout the gospels, he's encouraging us to be prepared for that judgment so that when he judges us, it can go favorably because another thing he talks about, and it's, this is right in this gospel passage, that not everyone is going to be judged favorably. What does he say? just as it was in the days of Noah. Well, what happened in the days of Noah? We know in Genesis chapter 6 that God instructs Noah to build this ark because he looks at all of humanity and he sees that humanity doesn't love God. Is, all of humanity is corrupt. They're sinful. And they're sinful to the point that they're not repenting of their sin. They're not turning back toward the Lord, but instead they insist on rebelling against God. And so Noah builds this ark, and what happens? Noah and his righteous family, they're saved, right? They're taken, And the rest are left. But they're not left to keep living. What are they left for? They're left to be destroyed by the floodwaters. Right? So when we're talking about just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the the return of the Son of Man. Right? Some will be taken. Taken where? Well, we believe that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. The book of Revelation talks about this. About how Jesus is going to take those who are righteous, those who are faithful to him, he's going to take them, into eternity take them into a new heaven a new earth a place that is far better than this one but for those who are left they're not left to just sort of keep living our protestant brothers and sisters talk about this as the rapture where you just sort of keep living kind of oblivious that you missed out on heaven no what happens is just as in the days of noah those who are left are left to be destroyed Right? And so, like Jesus saying, this is what the judgment's going to be like. And so we, I want you, he's saying, I want you to be prepared for the judgment. In other words, he lays out the terms. He lays out for us how we can be judged favorably, which is to, to be obedient to him, to follow him, to believe in him and follow his ways. So, so he's, he's talking about, so th- this in so many ways is what Advent is about, even more than it's about Christmas. As much as it's about Christmas, even more so is it about us preparing ourselves for the judgment of Jesus when he comes again. Again, whether he, whether he comes during our lifetimes or when we die, we're going to be judged by him in the same way. And so we want to be prepared for that. That's This is really what Advent is about. Now, what what I find fascinating is, or what I'm thinking about, is the second reading that we heard. So, So St. Paul is aware of all of this. He's aware that Jesus is going to come and that he's going to judge us, and so we need to be prepared. And part of that judgment is going to include, a big part of it, is going to include what our behavior looks like, how we're acting. It certainly will be about whether we believe in Jesus, but Paul knows this as well as all the authors of the New Testament books. They know that if we believe in Jesus, that's going to mean something about how we behave, about how we act. And so St. Paul is, is saying this. Now, what, what I found out this week is that this exact passage that we heard is an exa- It's the, the passage that was like the final straw for the conversion of one of the most influential saints in history, St. Augustine, or sometimes you you hear him called St. Augustine. So St. Augustine, uh, when he was Augustine, he grew up, his mom was a Christian named Monica, and his dad was not a Christian. He was a pagan. So uh, Augustine was not baptized when he was a baby. He lived his life as a pagan, his, his, his childhood, his young adult life, and then into adulthood. He lived his life as a pagan. Meanwhile, his mom was a fervent, believing Christian. And so she was regularly, oftentimes, trying to persuade her son Augustine to believe in Jesus, to take Jesus at His word and to believe in Him, to be baptized and live His life according to the Christian way of life. Augustine refused to do so. In fact, not only did he refuse to do so, he was living contrary to the Christian life. He had a concubine, a woman in his life who was not his wife, and he had a child with her. Uh, he he uh, did all kinds of other things, living as many young men live, right? Not taking life too seriously. He was trained in in rhetoric. He was a very good. Uh, speaker, a very good uh, proclaimer of whatever it was, a really good debater with, with different people. This is kind of how he made his living. Uh, anyways, what happens is Monica doesn't give up on him for, for like 30 years. She, she prays for her son and tries to convince him to believe in Jesus. He keeps refusing, and eventually, actually, what happens is he sees his mom nagging him, right, which some of us can maybe understand what that's like to have a mother who nags. Uh, but in this way, it's, it's in the best possible way. But nonetheless, he got irritated with her. So you know what he did? He moved. He's like, I'm going to a different city so I can get away from her. And so is what he does. But her, she, being a believing and and desirous mother that her son would come to believe in Jesus, she follows him. You're going to move? Okay, I'm going to come with you, and I'm going to keep telling you about Jesus. And what's more, not only was she telling him about Jesus, but she would go to Mass every day to pray for him. He tells us this in his book where he writes about his conversion. He says, she never missed a day where she offered prayers for me at the altar of the Lord. Anyway, over time, Augustine, he starts to kind of He meets somebody else very influential, St. Ambrose, uh, who is a bishop in Milan, and he just kind of, over time, he starts to have this conversion. He starts to see things differently, and and there's a point where it seems like he's ready to believe in Jesus, but he just isn't quite ready to leave behind his way of life. He's not ready to change his behavior, because he struggles with lust. He struggles with, with, again, this is sort of like not taking life too seriously, stealing and and these kinds of things, pulling pranks on people that are not appropriate. Uh, And so he's just in this place of, like, difficulty of, like, I don't know what to do. And then finally, he's praying one day, he's sitting one day, and he hears this voice in his head, take up and read, take up and read. So he picks up his Bible, and he opens, and the first passage he opens to is this passage from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, and he reads this, you know the time, it is the hour now for you to awake from sleep, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is advanced, the day is at hand. Right, so you got to imagine you're 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 this young man who uh, isn't quite sure. You think Jesus, you think Christianity is the way to go, but you're just like you're tied to this this sort of worldly, fleshly way of life. And then you pick up this you pick up the Bible, and the first thing you read, right? Wake up! You know what time it is. The night is far gone. It is now time for you to wake from your sleep to live as in daylight. Right? For him, this was it. This was the moment where he's like, okay. I got to be baptized. And so he was. He was baptized. He was eventually ordained a priest and then a bishop. And he literally is one of the most influential Christians who has ever lived, Protestant and Catholic alike. He's, so this, this, this passage is it. So what, what I'm thinking about is like, think of, think of Monica, you know, like his mom, Saint Monica, who she, we call her Saint Monica. How how the Lord was able to use her over a period of time, a long period of time, through her prayers and through her persistence in trying to reach Augustine, to try to bring about conversion in him. And I just think about, like, I think about all of you, actually, and so many more, faithful Catholics who come to me as a priest, and they talk to me about how their children are no longer practicing the faith, Or, or siblings who have left the faith, or parents who have left the faith. Or, or, you know, people around town who, you know, they used to come and then they just don't come anymore. I think about that because I think, so something that's in my mind is two things. There are two things during Advent that I think the Lord in these parishes in Oakley, Goodrich, and Grigla, that I think the Lord wants us to focus on during this time, these next four weeks of Advent. One of them is to consider who are the Augustans in our life? Who are the people in our lives, our lives, that maybe they had faith once before, or maybe they've never had faith, but we care about them so deeply. And if we're really objective about things, we look at their life and we see, I'm just not sure that the judgment of Jesus is going to go well for them. Now, we don't presume anything, but again, we can look at a person's behavior and we can see whether their behavior is behavior that's fit for being a Christian or not. Maybe some of us actually in this church are looking at our lives and we're thinking, gosh, I might be like Augustine. And if that's the case, that's that's okay. The invitation from the Lord is to ask the question who are the Augustines in our lives that we can reach out to and invite them into a place of conversion so that we can be like St. Monica? Sometimes having to persist. Now, I know what can happen sometimes with parents, especially who have kids who are no longer practicing the faith, or siblings who are no longer practicing the faith, is they can say, well, I tried to bring it up one time. And the response I got was, well, who are you to judge? And so I just, I don't say anything anymore because I don't want to cause any problems. In some ways, I understand that, absolutely. What I want to invite us to consider this year is, is there anything else that you can do? Anything maybe other than a face-to-face confrontation. Something that as I was praying about, uh, this, this idea came to me of writing a letter to people. And so I actually wrote this up about how to write a letter to someone in your life who's away from the Lord. Maybe they were close to him at one point in time and now they're away. Or maybe they were never close to him. But there's something about this. Think of, just think about this for a minute. When you go to your mailbox to get the mail, what do you find? Bill's. Junk mail, political advertisements, garbage that nobody really wants to look at. What kind of a, an impact would it have on you if you went to your mailbox and you found a handwritten letter from somebody that you care about? There's so much that's communicated there even before opening the letter. There's so much like this person, whoever it is, thought about me when I wasn't with them. and decided that he or she wanted to take time, right? How precious is time? How valuable is time? That this person wanted to take time to sit down and write something out, a message to me. And so whatever that message is, it's, it's probably really important to them, right? There's, there's something, even before I open the envelope, there's something about that that just communicates, oh, wow, this person really values me and they value what they wanted to write to me. And then what's more, when I open the letter, if there's something in there that's maybe challenging or difficult to read, like a letter like this might be, I know that I don't have to respond right away. But instead, what happens? Well, I can read the letter, and then after I'm done, I can set it down, and I can think about what was written. I don't have to respond right away, because so many, so many times, I know this in my own life, that if, I, if someone comes to me and confronts me face-to-face, My first reaction is anger. My first reaction is stubbornness. But over time, if I have time to think about something, then I can recognize my stubbornness and I can recognize my anger. And I might still disagree with them, but I can respond in a much more loving way. Other times, someone might bring something to me in a letter that I disagree with, but if I think about it, slowly my mind might start to change. This is what I have in mind with a letter like this right, to sit down and before I even start writing it, to think, okay, what about my own relationship with Jesus? How, why am I even writing this letter? Well, well, theoretically, it's because I know the value of having a relationship with Jesus. What is that value for me? And I'm writing to this person. Why? Well, because this person's valuable to me. Well, what is it about this person that makes them valuable to me? Right, to really reflect on things and then, okay, what do I want to communicate? And how can I communicate in such a way that they aren't going to feel judged maybe or they won't feel like I'm angry at them? Right, I I have this all written down on this piece of paper here and they're in the back. So on your way out of church, if you want to write a letter like this, you don't have to. But if you want to write a letter like this, you can take some time during Advent. Remember, it's four weeks. You don't have to sit down and write a letter all at once. But just to think, okay, are there any Augustans in my life? And what difference would it make to them or to me for that matter, if I wrote them a letter and somehow the Lord was able to reach into their life and bring about their conversion. This is maybe a question that we have to sort of ask ourselves before we go any further, right? Like, do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus can work through you to reach somebody else? Do you believe that you can be an instrument of God to bring about conversion for somebody that you care about? Because if you don't believe that, then then you need to understand who Jesus is and what he actually, like what his death and resurrection does for us, what what baptism does for you, what the Holy Eucharist does for you, you need to understand that that when you were baptized and when you receive Holy Communion, that his power begins to live in you in a kind of way that you might not always understand or experience, but it's there. And because of that. He can use you to reach into the lives of other people and bring about their conversion because he knows this. He knows that on his own, even though he's God, some people are so closed off to him that he can't reach them. Just like I know, right? I know you all have family and friends that I can't reach because I don't know them, but I know that you know them and I know that you care about them. And so I know that maybe the Lord can reach through your life into theirs. And so just to consider this, this is one of the things I want, I want us to consider during Advent. How can I reach out to the different people in my life that are not here right now? And how can I invite them in? That's the first part. The second part won't take me 16 minutes to explain. The second part is this. If I'm going to invite Augustine to come and have a relationship with Jesus... I have to be willing to live like Monica. If I'm going to reach out to my children, I have to be a holy parent. I have to be a holy mother. I have to be a holy father. If I'm going to reach out to my siblings, I have to be a holy brother. I have to be a holy sister. Because if I'm not... If I invite somebody into a relationship with Jesus, and they look at my life, and they see that I'm not living according to what the church teaches or according to what the Bible teaches, then they're just going to look at me, and they're going to say, who are you? Now, there's a difference here. There's a difference between struggling and just outright being stubborn. St. Paul talks about this, right? Let us then throw off the works of darkness. What are the works of darkness? Well, the works of darkness are when I know God's will. I know what the church teaches. I know what the Bible teaches. And I'm not even going to give it the time of day. Where I say, I know the church teaches this. That one's not for me. I know the Bible teaches this. I don't care. I'm going to do what I want. If, that, if I'm in that situation, then those are acts of darkness that I, the works of darkness, that I need to do what? I need to throw them off. So that I can actually build, well, I can build my own relationship with Jesus, right? So that I can live in a right relationship with him. But then also so that I can build credibility with the people that I'm gonna be reaching out to. So that, so that I can actually become more like Monica. I can become a powerful instrument of the Lord's grace. So you gotta ask yourself, are there any areas, any doctrines that the church teaches that you just reject? And if there are, throw them off. Now again, like I said, I know there, there's a difference between struggling. I might know the church teaches something, and I might have a difficult time with it. Or I know there are things in my life that I do that I hate that I do them, and yet I find myself doing them again and again. Right? That's a, that's a struggle compared to I'm just not even going to try. Right now, during Advent, one of the things I can focus on is my struggle. Absolutely. I can focus on maybe putting forth more effort to avoid sin. Absolutely. Absolutely. But if I'm not even trying to avoid sin, then I actually need to focus more on my own relationship with Jesus rather than focusing on the relationship that other people have with Jesus. Throwing off works of darkness, but then what? Putting on the armor of light. Right, Conducting myself as though I'm in the daytime. Preparing myself for the Lord. Right, So it's not just about avoiding sin, although that's important, but it's also pursuing a life of virtue and holiness. Right, If I profess to believe in Jesus, and I profess to believe that he wants to have a real relationship with me and with another person, with you, then I need to actually pursue that relationship. Through what? Well, through coming to Mass. If I'm not coming to Mass every week, I need to be coming to Mass every week. Sometimes maybe even if I'm able to going to mass during the week extra. If I'm not praying every day, I need to be praying every day. If I'm not reading scripture, I need to find a way to understand this book. As hard as it can be to understand sometimes. Right? Like if 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 Jesus really wants to have a relationship with me, then I got to engage that. One way to do, to do that, right? Another thing that I have, this is the second of two things. There's an app out there. It's called Hallow. So I've got these on the back table as well. This is the top Catholic app in the world. So, um... You need to have a, a, a smartphone for this. But to download this smartphone or, or to d- download this app on your smartphone or your tablet, there are things in here that are really great, the like guided prayers, guided meditations. Someone can lead you in praying the rosary, some daily scripture readings, some, some Bible studies, these kinds of things, things that you can do with your family, things that you can do with your spouse, things that you can do by yourself. This is a really great way. Now, Now, full disclosure, I myself just downloaded this app today because I figured if I'm going to preach about it, I should probably have it. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that it it costs money, but you get the first three months for free. So I don't know that I'm going to keep it after three months because I don't know that I want to pay for it. It's it's like $5 a month, so it's really not that much. But but nonetheless, I don't know that I want to pay for it, but I know that I get three months for free. So I'm going to take advantage of the free thing because that's what I do. Um, So anyway, so just something I'd really encourage you to consider, right, is to, to download the app, Halo. And uh, there's like a QR code you can take if you know how to do that, you can do that. If you don't know how to do it, ask a millennial. They'll they'll help you figure it out. But anyway, the point is like, this is one way. So you, this doesn't have to be the only way. This is one way that a person can grow in their relationship, their personal contact with the Lord Jesus through the guided meditations, through the, the, the prayers that are led, through the scripture readings, these kinds of things. If you don't wanna do this, that's fine. Find another way that you can engage in a relationship with Jesus in a real way during Advent, right? These are the two things, to reach out to the Augustans in your life and to be Monica more and more in your own life as well. So that as you reach out to Augustine, they can see the credibility that you have, the integrity that you have in your own life. And in doing this, brothers and sisters, this is the thing that I'm, I'm just convinced of. The Lord's going to look at all of this and he's going he's to bless it. How? I don't know, but I know that he's going to bless it. He's going to bless your life. He's going to bless the lives of the people around you so that you can be better prepared for his judgment when it comes, so that we can grow our family in this church and in really any church that we're at so that we can actually be living out the Christian life, living as though we're in daylight, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, who will come to judge the living and the dead, and who will bring us, those who are faithful to him, into new life, life everlasting.